Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 105. O give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. We start with a rather lively Easter hymn. It seems appropriate because we're still in the Easter season to do so, even if today is Low Sunday, the Sunday that can normally feel, well, can sometimes feel a bit flat. This joyful Easter tide, what need is there for grieving? And so we come to God in prayer. I will lead us in a short prayer after which we are invited to join together in the Lord's Prayer using whichever version and whichever language feels the most natural. So let's pray together. God of joy, as we come to worship this morning, We do so with the good news of Christ's resurrection fresh in our minds. We have enjoyed our Easter break. Some of us have been away on holiday and others have been able to take some time out for rest and recreation. We thank you for the people with whom we've shared this time, family and friends, colleagues, neighbours, and especially our church community. As we meet together today, we take a moment to think of those who cannot be with us, whether due to age or infirmity, work or family commitments, or because this morning they too are taking some time 
for rest and refreshment. God of hope, as we come to worship this morning, we do so with the bewildering news of our nation and our world fresh in our minds. Images of violence, tragedy and human struggle fill our television screens. We're not sure whether or not we can trust the accounts of the news reporters. We're not sure whether or not we can trust the promises of any of the politicians. As we meet today, we do so not as an escape from the world, but in order to find new hope and new courage to live in the world. God of love, as we come to worship this morning, we do so trusting in your faithfulness and joining our voices with those of Jesus' followers throughout the ages as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
I've brought two storybooks with me this morning because I thought it might be that some of you already are familiar with one of them. So does anybody know this storybook called Stories for Feelings for Children? Okay, probably not. Does anybody, want, anybody know that giraffe is left out? No. Okay. I wonder which one you'd rather hear. One from here called The Wish or this one which is called Giraffe is Left Out? Which do you fancy? Which one do you think? This one? Okay, let's do the giraffe one. Do you want to come closer so you can see the pictures? Anybody else want to come? Does Esther want to come down so she can see the pictures? So this is called Giraffe is Left Out. You come and join us, Esther. We've got a story with pictures. It was Monday morning and it was Leopard's first day at jungle school. Miss Bird said he could sit with monkey, little lion, and giraffe. She said, monkey, little lion, and giraffe would be leopard's friends and would help him to feel welcome. But giraffe's face. Giraffe was cross. Monkey and little lion were his friends. He did not want to be friends with leopard. He did not want to make leopard feel welcome. At playtime, <coughs> Monkey, Little Lion and Giraffe played football. Monkey said that Leopard could play too, but Giraffe got cross on his face. He said Leopard could not play. In fact, he told Leopard to go away. Leopard was sad. He did not like being left out. Little Lion said Giraffe was being very unkind. On Tuesday, Leopard came to school early. He was very excited. He said it was his birthday on Saturday, and he said everyone could come to his party. He gave, Leopard gave out lots of invitations, but he did not give an invitation to Giraffe. Giraffe was upset. He did not like being left out. Leopard told everybody about his party. He said it would be good fun. He said everyone would get party hats. There would be lots of games to play. He said there would be cakes and buns and jellies to eat. He said there would be races too. Giraffe felt sad. He wished he could go to Leopard's party. But Monkey said that the giraffe had been unkind to Leopard. And Little Lion said... He might, if he had been kinder, he might not have been left out. Sad, doesn't he? That afternoon, Miss Bird said they had to work with a partner to make model boats. She said everyone had to test the boats at the end to make sure they floated. She said that Giraffe and Leopard had to work together. Giraffe was crossed. He told Miss Bird he did not want to work with Leopard. He said Leopard was not his friend. But Miss Bird would not listen. Giraffe had to cut out the boat shapes, but it was hard to do. Leopard helped him. He cut out the boat shapes really carefully. Giraffe was pleased. Leopard had to stick the boat shapes together. What kind of mess he's getting into. But it was hard to do. Giraffe helped him. He stuck the boat shapes together really carefully. Leopard was pleased. Then they had to test the boats to see if it floated. It was very hard to do, but they helped each other. Giraffe and Leopard were pleased when the boat floated. Miss Bird said they had worked very well together. At playtime, Giraffe asked Leopard if he would like to play football with him, Monkey and Little Lion, and they all played together. Giraffe said Leopard was a very good player. Giraffe said he was sorry for being unkind. He said he wanted to be friends. 
The next day, Leopard had a surprise for Giraffe. He gave him a big envelope. Inside the envelope was an invitation to Leopard's birthday party. Giraffe was very excited. He was glad that Leopard had not left him out. Soon it was Saturday and everyone went to Leopard's party. There were lots of party hats, tall hats and floppy hats. Giraffe thought his hat was the best hat of all. I think that's a good hat. There were lots of games to play. First they played musical chairs and Monkey won. He was very pleased. Then they played Sleeping Lions and Little Lion won. He was very pleased. Next they played Pass the Parcel and Giraffe won. He was very pleased. Look at him ripping the paper off. Soon it was time to eat. Leopard's mum had made lots of cakes, buns and wobbly jellies. There were blue cakes and red cakes. There were sticky buns and cherry buns. There were green jellies and yellow jellies. Everyone ate it all up and it was delicious. Then Leopard's dad said it was time to start the races. There was a running race and a hopping race. There was a sack race and a really silly race. <coughs> Giraffe, monkey, little lion and leopard liked the really silly race best of all. Look, they've got all sorts of weird costumes on and people in a, in a wheelbarrow. At last it was time to go home. Everyone thanked Leopard for a lovely party. Let's play together tomorrow, said Leopard. Playing together is fun. Yes, said Giraffe. Let's all play together tomorrow then no one will be left out at all. Thank you for listening. Sometimes we feel left out because people are mean to us. And sometimes perhaps we're a bit mean and so we get left out. But sometimes it's nobody's fault. Sometimes we just feel left out because we weren't there when something happened. And we hear about it, and it sounds really exciting and really interesting, and we think, oh, I wish I was there. And I feel a bit left out. Everybody feels left out sometimes. So it's important that we try to look out for each other and be there for each other. I couldn't find a song that neatly fitted with that, but I think we know the song <coughs> we're going to sing next. And it just reminds us that when we have Jesus as our friend then we start to make friends with other people and share that. So, when I receive the peace of Christ, my loneliness shall end.
Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 25 and reading from verse 19. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Now Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game but Rebekah loved Jacob our New Testament reading is from the gospel according to John chapter 21 and reading again from verse 19 when it was evening on that day the first day of the week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe.
I find it really hard to imagine a series of services for Easter that doesn't include a focus on the account of Thomas, the disciple whose honest questions and reasonable doubts resonate so strongly with human experience in many ways, both very spiritual and very earthly. I wonder how many of us at some point in our lives have found ourselves uttering the words, well, I'll believe it when I see it. For as long as I can remember, whenever I've heard about Thomas, he's tended to be called Doubting Thomas, an epithet that somehow distinguished him, at least implicitly, from the other disciples, who apparently believed without any questions, or so the name would suggest. What perhaps we don't notice or be aware of is that actually he's already identified by a nickname. Because Thomas in this context isn't a given name, it's a description. The disciple is nicknamed Twin, which suggests either that he has got a twin brother or that he looked very like somebody else, a doppelganger or a double, if you like. And it was this twin theme that kind of intrigued me when I was exploring ideas that we might share together in this sermon. From Enid Blyton and J.K. Rowling, via Shakespeare, Mark Twain and Alexander Dumas, to Aldous Huxley and Stieg Larsson, (coughs) playwrights and authors love to create stories in which twins are among the central characters. From ancient times, multiple births have been a source of curiosity and wonder in human society, with responses ranging from veneration as gods at one extreme to fear and loathing at the other. Myths and folklore are full of tales of twins, many of which have, or at least may have, influenced religious practice, understanding and writing. Stories about twins brought up by wild animals. Constellations named after legendary twins. Comedy tales of mistaken identity. And sadly, tragic accounts of one or both real-life twins being killed out of fear. Twins, it seems, are a source of endless fascination carries on into our own scientific age. So given the fascination with which ancient cultures viewed twins, it should come as no surprise that there are Bible stories involving twins. In fact, perhaps it's surprising that there aren't more Bible stories involving twins. The Old Testament records the births of two sets of twins. There's Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, who we just heard about. And then in the same family, Perez and Zerah, born of an illicit relationship between Judah, son of Jacob, and his own widowed daughter-in-law, Tamar. We know practically nothing about the second set of twins, but if we turn to the New Testament, to the very first page of Matthew's Gospel, in the genealogy of Jesus that's presented there, there they are, amongst the forebears of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the son of Hezron, and so on. This morning we heard the story of Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, who it seems they quarrelled even before they were born. The older twin, Esau, is famous for his ruddy complexion, his hirsute appearance and his passion for hunting. The younger son, Jacob, is known for his smooth skin, his quiet demeanour and for his cunning. 
whilst I was doing some research for this sermon, I came across a really fascinating book published in the early 1960s called Twins in History and Science, written by an Italian. And it included an extensive chapter on twins in mythology and the arts before it moved on to twins in history. And it was in the twins in history he began with Jacob and Esau. He he saw this as real twins who existed. There was no doubt for him. He separated them from other ancient stories of twins. And of course, I think I agree with him. But as other commentators note quite rightly, the account of Jacob and Esau that we have has similarities with other ancient stories of twins. The very ruddy red nature of Esau's appearance has echoes of widespread reference to redness in ancient myths and legends about twins. But there are also significant differences. The eventual reconciliation of the brothers, if you remember, they meet at the Jabbok and and are reconciled, is unlike ancient twin stories in which usually one of the brothers will kill or overthrow the other one. So history and myth, religion and folklore are all mixed together to create a timeless tale that continues to intrigue us. There is fact in this story, there is myth in this story, and the two are woven together so that we're not quite sure which is which anymore. And I think this is useful background as we turn our attention to Thomas the man who was named, or nicknamed anyway, Twin. Who was this Thomas? And who was his twin? Speculation and conjecture continue to this day, with nobody ever coming to a satisfactory conclusion. Only in the Gospel of John do we hear any words attributed to him, and then on only three occasions. Firstly, when Jesus delays the request to go to Bethany. Secondly, when Jesus speaks of going ahead of his disciples to prepare a place for them. And then lastly, in the resurrection appearance. And to be honest, in none of them does he come out especially (coughs) favourably. In the 1940s, at Nag Hammadi, a whole lot of ancient documents were discovered, which created huge interest and even more speculation. And in amongst these scrolls were several several attributed to what some scholars call the School of Thomas, which just means the people who followed the teachings of Thomas and his successor. So they were either scrolls written by Thomas or written by his followers, his disciples. And in amongst those is one called the Book of Thomas Contender. Various different translations have been made of the text. So I'm going to read to you from one translation and then in a minute refer to a second. This is the first one. The secret words that the Saviour spoke to Judas Thomas, which I, even I, Matthias, wrote down while I was walking, listening to them speak with one another. The Saviour said, Brother Thomas, while you have time in the world, listen to me, and I will reveal to you the things you have pondered in your mind. Now, since it has been said that you are my twin and true companion, Examine yourself and learn who you are, in what way you exist, and how you will come to be. Since you will be called my brother, it is not fitting that you are ignorant of yourself. And I know that you have understood, because you already understood, that I am the knowledge of truth. So you will accompany me, although you are uncomprehending. You have, in fact, already come to know, and you will be called the one who knows himself. 
For he who has not known himself has known nothing, but he who has known himself has at the same time already achieved knowledge about the depth of all. So then you, my brother Thomas, have beheld what is obscure to men, that is, what they ignorantly stumble against. Now this is Gnostic writing, so don't worry too much if it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But there is a sentence in there, a couple of sentences in there that are are useful, I think. I also have a a translation of of this book on my bookshelf at home. I have a book by uh, Professor Bentley Layton, who is actually quoted in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, if you're interested in crazy novels. But what Layton does in his translation of this part of the book of Thomas Contender is to work with the ambiguity in the words. Rather than saying, since you are my twin, he will say, since it is said that you are my double, my look-alike, if you like. His interpretation might be, tr- might be correct, suggesting that Thomas was similar in appearance to Jesus. Certainly, throughout history, some have suggested he could have been one of Jesus' brothers, and he is sometimes referred to as Jude, possibly even the writer of the book of Jude. But there is no suggestion that Thomas and Jesus were twins. So, sorry, Philip Pullman and others who've played with that idea. Most scholars read both the word twin and the word brother metaphorically in much the same way as we did when we sang that song. We spoke about our brothers and our sisters. We didn't necessarily mean those related to us by blood, but those who are part of our community. But this, I think, is where it gets interesting, or it did for me, and I'm afraid my brain got quite stretched, and it probably didn't quite get there, so somebody clever like Andrew can tell you later. Leighton says this. In the Thomas tradition, this relationship, Jesus and Thomas, provided a profound theological model for the reciprocal relationship of the individual Christian and the inner divine light or living Jesus. To know oneself was to know one's own divine double and thence to follow God. To follow Jesus was to know and integrate oneself. Thus, the twinship and companionship of Jesus and Thomas metaphorically expressed a general model of salvation, emphasising both practical discipleship and self-awareness. I find that fascinating. And the key phrase as I was reading it was this one, to follow Jesus was to know and integrate oneself. So how did that work for the Thomas of the Gospels? The Thomas who missed out on that first resurrection appearance. (laughs) The Thomas portrayed by John is utterly credible. He's not afraid to ask questions or to express uncertainty. When he hears a report of the risen Jesus, he's not convinced. And then he has an encounter that changes his mind. Two men, similar in age and stature, face to face, looking into each other's eyes. Jesus commands Thomas not just to reach out and touch him, but to really feel the wounds. And in that moment of that command... As their eyes meet, Thomas feels Jesus look into his soul and he begins to put together to integrate all that he has experienced. 
and utters those profound words, my Lord and my God. In that moment, he discovers and understands his true identity as a child of God, a sibling of Christ, and he's now ready to journey on. So we end up where we always end up with this story. Thomas sees and Thomas believes and all is right with his world. But we're none the wiser as to whether he really had a twin brother or who that was. Or are we? I looked at a lot of theological discussion boards over the week because I was playing with what for me was quite a complicated idea. And one of them had a question where somebody had just said, well, who is Thomas's twin? And a very learned person wrote out a lot of what I shared with you or alluded to a lot of what I shared with you. And then he finished up by saying this. So, back to the question, who is Thomas's twin? It could be me, it could be you. It could be each of us or all of us together as we summon the courage to doubt our doubts, as we read and study the gospel, seeking answers to questions. God could be each, sorry, sorry, could be each of us and all of us together when we join in the confession of faith. My Lord and my God. If Thomas is the lookalike of Jesus, he's also the lookalike of each one of us. When Thomas expresses doubts and asks questions, when Thomas struggles to make sense of events, he struggles and doubts just the same way that any of us would do. Perhaps to look at Thomas is almost to look in a mirror. And I wonder if it's stretching things too far to suggest that we, like Thomas, can also discover that to follow Jesus is to know and integrate ourselves, to discover our true identity who we are as children of God, siblings of Christ. And if so, will we then learn also to see that same image and identity in others and each other? Perhaps to look at Thomas is to see ourselves And with him, we can look at Jesus and see, like a reflection in a modern-day mirror, the selves we aspire to be, are made to be, and with God's help, are already becoming. With Jesus as our mirror, we look with open eyes to see ourselves more clearly, removing all disguise.
We come before God now with our prayers for others. So let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we approach you this morning in our prayers for others, we acknowledge the constant intrusion of doubt in praying for a world so vast, so complicated, so bent towards its own destruction. The world seems to us so irredeemably broken. And prayer often seems to be so empty, so ineffectual, sometimes even so trite, as we pray for the small pains of our immediate situation, while the ongoing ravages of a war like that which we witness in Syria continue to be felt by so many, both within its borders and without. Like Thomas, we feel incredulous and seek, often in vain, for proof that our intercessions are heard, that they are responded to, that they make any material difference. The marks and holes we want as evidence, too often, both in our minds and in the minds of those we pray for, turn out to be holes in the logic of prayer itself. So we ask you now not to eradicate this doubt, as if it could ever be absent, nor to supply us with unmistakable proof, as if that would be the guarantor of our faith. We ask, rather, that you embolden us to see and feel the power of prayer in the very wounds and scars of those around us not in the smooth skin of idealized outcomes, not in the happy thoughts of pearly kingdoms to come, but in the very harshness and pain of those we encounter daily, locally and globally, as you yourself experienced in your incarnated Son. Help us to see this power empathetically, as shared pain, as shared sorrow, and ultimately as a shared hope that, as we have just celebrated, there is a resurrection. A resurrection still with open wounds, but wounds that now lead towards salvation, as your hand guides us to your side. In this respect, we pray for the various elections now dominating our thoughts. France's this weekend, our UK general election in June, Germany's election later this year. We know that so much is at stake in these elections, as Europeans choose which leaders will guide them through the turbulent, potentially divisive waters ahead. Here we don't pray for certain party political outcomes, for we cannot know what the best outcomes would be and should be. We pray instead, even against all our doubt, that the harmony of peoples be kept foremost in all voters' minds, and that those elected to power will see their mandate as one to minimize the structures and policies that lead to more social wounding and scarring, and to maximize the empathy towards those who most need healing. We acknowledge that Europe itself needs healing as a whole, so we pray that collectively the elections to come will bring, in whatever form, unity, not division. Inclusion, not exclusion. Understanding, not ignorance. Peace, not strife. We pray all these things in the name of the one who suffered on our behalf, whose flesh was pierced with thorns and nails, who overcame the agony of death itself to return to us and say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Amen.
God who we cannot see, but in whom we do believe. We bring these gifts of money, not knowing, not able to know how they will share the good news, but we trust that they will. So we offer them gladly and honestly for your service. Amen. So a hymn to send us on our way. Um, It's actually normally a one used at the start of a service, so I apologise for that, but it seemed to be an appropriate one to end with. reconciliation between Jacob and Esau bring peace to our disordered world. May the Christ who welcomed the honest questions of Thomas give us courage to live authentically, discovering our true identity in him. And may the spirit of wisdom and truth be our guide now and always. Amen.